Hello, welcome to the Living Open podcast for mystics and seekers. I'm your host, Erin. I'm a Philly-based healing artist, and this is a podcast to support your healing journey. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Living Open podcast on embroidery as ritual and creative talismans with textile artist Christy Johnson. I've been wanting Chris, wanting Christy to come on the podcast for a long time, so I'm so excited that we finally made it happen and she is amazing. I think her art is gorgeous and the way that she weaves magic and ritual and symbolism into a process of art making that I've grown to love so much um, feels really beautiful, so I was really excited that we got to talk. Her art combines cosmic visions and botanical beauties, a hypnotic dance of symbols stitched slowly and methodically into fabric, She uses natural materials and discarded materials to give new life to that which has been cast aside, and she's the woman behind Mixed Color, which is a textile studio in Catskills, in the Catskills, (laughs) and the author of the book Mystical Stitches, which explores embroidery as a tool for personal empowerment and magical embellishment to bring more meaning into stitches. I got really into embroidery, um for real, for real, (laughs) over last winter and fall during COVID when I took um, Liz Miarelli, Sister Spinster, who I've also had on the podcast, fire tending, hearth tending class, and it was gorgeous, and she encouraged us to work with our hands and make things with our hands, not needing to be embroidery specifically, um, but knots or knitting or embroidery or whatever it is that felt good to us. And I really sunk into embroidery and I found that making something with my hands and just the repetitive motion of the stitches and being able to just like listen to good music and sit with the candles and create this whole supportive nourishing environment to do something with my hands, to create something beautiful, to create something that the process of creating was actually really enjoyable, felt so good. Um, And then I found Christy's work. So Christy and I talk about her journey with magic and creativity and art, why she loves working with textiles, femininity and working with textiles, magic and ritual and symbolism as part of the embroidery process, what it looks like to make embroidery with ritual and magic, creating more spaciousness to receive inspiration, dreams inspiring embroidery, leaning into the slowness and seasonality of the embroidery process, crafting talismans from textiles, not forcing creative work and untangling productivity addiction, cultivating creative skills, and of course, how to get started with embroidery if you're new to it. I did want to say there is a tiny quality issue with this conversation, um, and I hope you stick around for it. There's just a little bit of scratching headphones noise um, at some point, so just know that's what that is, and you can hear Christy's words perfectly through it. So um, yeah, please forgive me for an editing issue that was not able to be edited out, but this conversation is so good. Um, I had to share it anyways. 
before we get into this conversation, I also wanted to share my official podcast announcement that the Religious Trauma Healing Meditation album is out. It's live and it's on a special intro price until December 23rd. It's just $20. Um, and it's a project I really love and I'm so happy to be sharing with you. I created it to offer support around some of the impacts of dogmatic religion, mainly forms of Christianity I've seen in myself and in others that I've supported over the past couple of years. Like shame and feeling alone and struggling with uncertainty, feeling unworthy and like we're inherently bad, big grief, not trusting ourselves, existing as fragmented versions of ourselves rather than our authentic whole selves, being disconnected from pleasure and aliveness and our bodies, feeling unsafe in our bodies, and not knowing how to process big feelings. It's a collection of 17 meditations that are really meant to be a soft place for you to rest, for your child self, for your heart, for your pain, for the fragmented parts of yourself to rest. Through the meditations, you will be guided to really connect with a sense of safety in your body, whatever that means for you to grieve and process your experiences and religion and your feelings around that. There are meditations around deepening self-trust and compassion, sitting with uncertainty, connecting with your inherent goodness and worthiness, embodying and affirming and reclaiming your authentic self, and welcoming home parts of yourself that dogmatic religion asked you to sacrifice, like your wildness, your desires, your authentic self, your sexuality, and not as like a meditate and done, check the box, all good, but just as part of the journey, just as support on the journey, which is long and winding and non-linear and cyclical and all of those things that I'm sure you know if you listen to this podcast. So link is in the description if you want to check it out. There's also an option to bundle with the Religious Trauma Workbook if you're into that. If you've been wanting to get a copy of it, this might be a good time to get both. Okay, that's all I have to share with you. Here's my conversation with Christy. I hope you enjoy and I hope it inspires your creativity. I hope it inspires you to make something. So I always like to start the podcast by hearing about your journey. So I would love to hear about your journey with magic and with creativity and embroidery, all the things. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, I've been making with, especially with textiles, um, I've been creating since I was very young. My mother was a textile artist, so I've always kind of engaged in that. Um, and then I ended up just really loving art classes. I went to a like magnet arts high school um, and focused on painting there. And so I, I like very much like embraced sort of the artist lifestyle from a young age and it was very much encouraged. Um, and then when it came time to decide whether or not I was going to call going to college, um, it was sort of this like I mean, my mom had a really good point. She was like, if you're going to pay a bunch of money for college, you should probably get a job afterwards. So like maybe <laughs> going to college for fine arts is a bad idea. Um, and so she encouraged me to go for, um, or she didn't encourage me. I wanted to go too. My sister also studied fashion design. Um, and so then that was kind of a natural 
um, segue for me to go into it because I already knew a lot about clothes. Um, I wanted to live in Los Angeles at the time and there was a big fashion industry there. And so I knew that I would be able to go to work after getting a college degree, basically. Um, so yeah, that was, that was kind of how I ended up um, studying fashion. And then after working 10 years or so between, um, you know, inter- summer internships and actual full-time work, probably 10 years in the fashion industry. And then I was like, I can't, this doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Um, this is not like, this is not sustainable in so many different directions. It's not sustainable on the earth. It's not sustainable as a business. It's not sustainable for anybody working in it. Um, it just felt very like we were doing it wrong. So then I tried to do my own. Um, and I was like, this is still not sustainable. <laughs> but through the process of like realizing how much I um, I loved the, pro- you know, through the process of enjoying the process, I realized I actually like teaching um, everything that involved in fashion and um, embroidery and clothing design, especially outside of the context of fashion, outside of the idea of um, trends. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. I have so many questions. I think I want to go back to the beginning a little bit and ask, cool. like, I know you said that your mom is a textile artist, but what is it about textiles that feels special to you? Like, why do you love working with textiles specifically? Right. Yeah. They just, they're everywhere. I think that's a big part of it for me is they're covering literally everything, <laughs> you know, um, we interact with them so frequently and like any, any of that sort of thing was really interesting to me. So I have the same feeling about like woodwork, for example, or cooking, where it's like these things that we are interacting with like 10,000 times a day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's way overstatement, but <laughs> we're interacting with many <laughs> times a day. Um, and so we are, I think we can kind of take them for granted because we are so frequently exposed to it. Um, and so just, I just love looking a little bit deeper into those, into these, these items that are just like inherent in our existence and just also I love learning about the history of textiles and the evolution of textiles and how how revolutionary um, textiles were for humans. I mean, tens of thousands of years ago, but like we were, it, it allowed us so many things. It was like one of the first technologies that allowed us to really start to expand and really start to, um, yeah, be able to just carry things, carry children, keep people warm, like all of these different things that we really take for granted on a daily basis that like, early humans had to discover and had to sort of, you know, figure out how to weave a fabric or figure out how to, you know, um, create a netted bas- or a, um, a netted um, bag to hold something or, you know, these ideas of like these things that just seem so kind of obvious to us. Mm. Yeah. And in my mind, working with textiles is so feminized too. Has mm. it always been like that? Do you know? Um, to an extent, it's kind of gone back and forth a little bit. And also, it's also like culturally dependent. So in some places, um, the men were the only ones that would weave. Um, so that's, that is something that throughout time has changed. Like, you know, I I can't think of any specific examples, but, um, I at least know that it has changed a lot. Yeah. The the actual specifics of it are, are sort of 
in books that I <laughs> could reference, but, <laughs> but yeah, the, um, but the big part of the idea of like spinning, cause to, to create a textile, you start with spinning fibers together. That's by spinning the fibers together, you are able to create one continuous long string. And that is where any sort of textile begins is with this one long string, whether it's woven, you first, you need to spin the fabric. And now that is so far off of our like modern idea of what happens. And, but when it came down to it, there was like, it was probably like 50% of your life, ex life experience was spent spinning. And because women naturally were the ones who were raising the children and the ones that were able to do work that they could drop and pick up and drop and pick up spinning was something that the women did. And that's pretty much across the board. Um, and even like the term spinster is like a young woman who's really good at spinning. You know, <laughs> like, like it, it's like a young single woman is basically where that term came from. Um, so an interesting sort of one of those interesting things like textile terminology that has become completely lost and like taken on an entirely new form. Um, but yeah, so because spinning was such a um, like a thing that could easily be pick, uh, picked up and put down, it ended up falling um, alongside caregiving for children. So yeah. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. I'm thinking about how a couple of years ago, um, when I was telling like my great aunt that I was getting into embroidery um, and she was so shocked because she just like, I think has this image of me in her mind as like an angry 12 year old feminist. <laughs> like, I'm actually a whole person now and I don't have to reject everything that is associated with femininity, just the stuff I don't want. And I can yeah, think of stuff I, I do want. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Well, and there's all these amazing stories too about certain areas. Like I think in certain Bedouin cultures, the women, um, the men did not want to be anywhere near the women stitching because the idea is that their lives would get tangled up in the threads that were being stitched. And so I'm like, <laughs> I think there's a lot of power in these textile arts that have been hmm. diminished over the years as a way of like further suppressing women. So the idea of like taking it back on, I'm like, there's, I, I do think there's a lot of power behind it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Magic. <laughs> yeah. That's something else I want to ask you about is like, how does magic and ritual and symbolism like weave into this for you? Yeah, I think it's, it was kind of because I'm always, uh, I've always been interested in image making and sort of like, how do we use imagery to tell a story or describe something? Um, and so as I, it was actually I've always kind of been interested in, you know, when I was like young, I was like checking out books from the library on different paganism, you know, different like pagan religions and things. Um, but it never really, nothing ever really stuck. Cause I'm not a religious person in general. Like, I don't like, I'm like, I, I don't like to follow rules. <laughs> so any sort of like, you know, format formulaic um, religion or anything, I'm just like, nah, I don't like that. Um, but as I moved to, um, I'm currently living sort of in the Catskills mountain area and up, um, it's not really upstate New York. It's kind of like side state New York. <laughs> but um, when I moved here, um, I started experiencing the like deep winter months and I had never experienced that before. And that was the time for me that was really um, you kind of have no choice but to be inside, like both physically and mentally, like you start to turn in inwards. Um, and so that I think probably seven years ago um, was when I started staying up here. 
um, that really started to encourage me looking into, okay, how do these how, how do these symbols and how do these images that I'm so interested in how, how they're involved with storytelling, how do they involve the storytelling on a deeper level? Like how do, I started reading more about the, um, the unconscious and like the Jungian idea of the unconscious and how symbols work within that. Um, and then starting to look at how inherent that is in most cultures artwork and especially in a lot of embroidery and a lot of textile arts um, where it's just sort of assumed that um, if when you're embroidering something it is to um, bring a certain desire or intention or um, deflect a certain intention from yourself so that that was sort of reading about the history of different embroideries and seeing how the spirituality was just like so intrinsic in it. Um, and that it, the imagery and the representation of um, different intentions were just completely intertwined with it. So. Mm, that's so beautiful. What does that look like when you're actually making something? Yeah, it looks like I try uh, generally on like the first sketches of things, I try to let that happen as I guess intuitively as possible. Um, and so one thing that I, this is like something that I encourage in my teachings is like when something doesn't make sense or it's like a little bit comes up in your mind that just like seems out of context or weird, like just put it down on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like this idea of like, that's, you know, I, like one example that I've given in a class is like, I, you know, I had a, an image of, people climbing up out of the center of an eyeball um, years ago. And it was one of those things where it came to my mind and I was like, that is very weird. I don't like that. And I was like, no, no, just draw it down. Um, You know, continually don't, don't doubt yourself. Basically, I guess is what, what that started to look like is allowing whatever imagery comes up to be recorded on paper, write down some words. Um, And then what I usually do is I, and I have like notebooks and notebooks full of sketches. And then what I'll do is I'll go and look at, when I have time to create something or I have time to, um, yeah, start to create something, I I just look at the sketches and just kind of which one calls out to me and which one feels like something that is sort of the medicine of what I need in this moment. Um, And so it's almost like, yeah, it's like I have my own little dictionary of of different symbols that I can just pull from um, through my sketchbooks. And then bringing, yeah, seeing what drives me towards it naturally, choosing that, and then bringing that into the physical world through um, color, different colors that I've chosen, the different fabrics that I've chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how, usually how that process kind of goes is just letting stuff come to me. And I think it's, a, I, you know, it's probably just allowing myself to be an open channel is a big part of that and allowing the imagery to come through as it is and not trying to manipulate it too much in those early stages. Um, Yeah. Do you have any thoughts for people who are wanting to make more spaciousness to receive that kind of stuff and also cultivating more trust to just like let that stuff come through and trusting that it's for a reason or something that you need to work on? Right. That's a really great question. Yeah. I think, um, I think for making space for that, I would say like, for me, I find looking at books is really helpful. Um, like I think a lot of us can tend to be inspired by things that we see on the internet, but like going through a whole book on, I don't know. I like, I like, uh, books from vintage books. And so I will just kind of oftentimes 
find, you know, even going to the library and just picking out like the older looking books and seeing what imagery is in it um, and seeing kind of how that strikes you. I think that that can be really helpful. Even books on, so for example, books on archaeology or books on mythology or these other sort of like outside of our realm. I definitely books on mythology because they're usually a collection of different imagery um, from different cultures, which I find really beautiful, kind of sitting side by side one another. So yeah, I would say getting, immersing yourself in some books. And then also I think definitely spending time in meditation is a big one or spending time. I think there's a tendency to, and I find myself doing this all the time still, and even though I know it, but there's a tendency to kind of stare at the white page of a sketchbook and like expect something to come through. And it's like, nothing's ever going to come through then. So I try and keep my eyes closed and just sort of like allow any sort of shapes to um, start to take place. And sometimes if this is something that doesn't necessarily come naturally to you, um, listening to really calming music, like this is going to sound silly, but um, anything like Enya like <laughs> or Enya herself, like those songs are really <laughs> recently gotten back into Enya. I'm like, wow, this is really powerful music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think that music really helps to start to create that. And another thing like storytelling can really encourage it. So um, I know I was talking about like visual, the visual aspects of mythology, but I think also even like hearing storytelling, like listening to an audiobook on, you know, with some beautiful, fantastical story, that's a really big, um, huge influence for me because then your mind starts to create the imagery for you. Even reading books physically, if you're, you know, if you're really good at that, I'm not the best at re reading a physical book, but um, your mind just starts to create these images and starts to try and put the pieces together of the words that you're reading. Um, and I think that those, I mean, those are all really simple suggestions, but I think that they can really um, help to build that. And it is something that you're building. It's not just something that happens, I think. And I do think it took me a while to sort of like build that kind of image creation skill from within. Um, and as far as trusting yourself goes, um, I think that it can be really helpful to have it be kind of a private thing. I think especially now, like we kind of tend to want to share the images that come to us and we want to talk about it with other people. Um, but when it can be like this just really intimate um, conversation between yourself and your sketchbook and the divine, I think that's so much stronger. Uh, and I think that's how you really build a relationship, just like with a person, you know, if you're start, if you meet somebody and you're with them and you're telling all your friends, everything that they've done and they know everything about them, there's not that intimacy there. Um, and so I think that that can really, that's like the best way that I can explain it is like having that sort of intimacy and having, um, allowing it to be a slow process and allowing it to be a, also to be a practice, I think is something else is like having it be something that you come back to um, and not just do in like large chunks of time, trying to allow it to be, you know, a little time set aside each day for it. Just like a lot of different things that have to do with um, sort of intention setting and that. Yeah. Mm, okay. I have so many questions from what you just said. <laughs> like, first of all, I really appreciate what you said about like listening or reading books and music and those things as like opening up that spaciousness and inspiration mm -hmm. because that just feels so accessible. Um, right. 
and it automatically made me think of the book The Starless Sea. Have you read this book or heard of no, it? Oh, I haven't. It I just read it. I read it like last year. I think it's by Erin Morganson or something. Um, but it just has the most gorgeous imagery and it's like so rich with mm. visuals and it's magical and fantastical and it's just so beautiful. And reading that book was really inspiring for me. I didn't like create anything based off of it, but I just remember it being such like a rich visual experience. So yeah, that like brought that memory out of me. Nice. I love that. Yeah. Having, having those books that really just ignite this fire of creativity and your brain just starts to, you know, your brain really takes some fun paths with that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm wondering too, if your dreams ever inspire embroidery when you're talking about the unconscious and symbols like do you ever make things based on your dreams yeah that's a good question I have it's been a while since I ever remembered a dream I go through phases with it mm-hmm. um but yeah definitely because I'll try and write down I think that's what the problem is that I, my dream journal made its way away from where I wake up in the morning so I'm kind of like mm. <laughs> like all of a sudden, <laughs> that extra 30 seconds it takes to find the journal <laughs> the dream's gone um yeah so I will usually write them down I don't think it usually it it normally does not come up immediately Uh, you know when I have like a fantastical dream it doesn't it won't usually immediately translate into any sort of um image making but similarly to, to the sketchbook um when I kind of have that time or that urge or that itch to start to I need to make something new going back and reading through the dreams and being like oh well there is very clear uh also going back and reading dreams in general you start to piece them together more but like being outside of that dream space where there's so much going on and just reading what was left in the morning kind of like the vestiges of the dream and piecing together images from that yeah that does sometimes happen it's not like a a consistent um practice but it is definitely uh, yeah 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 I go through phases with my dreams also and I'm like poetry is my forever love medium and so I've written more poems are inspired by dreams um I've never actually embroidered anything based on a dream but if you can't tell I'm newer to embroidery and I'm obsessed with it now oh amazing (laughs) I love hearing that you know so I'm like I need to break out my dream journal and see what comes up in there (laughs) yeah yeah and you brought up You brought up it being a slow process. And I think that's something that I'm really enjoying and loving so much about embroidery embroidery is like the the tactileness of it. It's like something to do with my hands that I'm touching and feeling. And it's so different from other things that I do. And that feels really lovely. And then also the slowness of it, like to just light some candles and put on music and do something with my hands that's so like intentional and slow and then eventually someday through a whole process (laughs) like make something I think is beautiful feels really special so I'm wondering if you have any other words about it being a slow process and just like slowing down and living more slowly to like be present with that kind of stuff right yeah I mean I one of the big parts of why I love the slowness of it is that you're still watching it happen before your eyes like it's still kind of unfurling the design is the images like being made but it just it's not at the pace that we're used to and so that just naturally kind of brings us down which I yeah I really I um 
I am personally, I'm, I'm an Aries moon. So I'm a little bit like, I'm an Aries oh, moon too. Nice. <laughs> so I feel like that has like that. I'm, I'm a little bit not impulsive, but like, you know, I tend to just like, kind of like one thing's happen really fast. Um, so it's a little bit, um, yeah, there's that like a little bit fiery kind of Martian energy. Um, and so it does sort of, it kind of tames that, but then by still having this design being made in front of you, still something's still happening. Um, and then you're playing with different colors. And I love anything where like, I have to like, you know, just constantly like comparing different shades of colors and kind of choosing which might be the best and which might look great, but what maybe this other, instead of doing this navy blue, maybe this like dark purple might be a little more exciting or make the image mm-hmm. more vibrant. And so like all those little decisions being made along the way, uh, I think are what really like engage my mind in it. And that's the, that's the sort of like um, the satisfactory part to me is like, all, you know, kind of having these little like problem solving details all along the way. Um, that's what, I guess that's what like draws me forth throughout the entire process is kind of the mystery of like constantly being open to that possibly changing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, I do think it really, um, it it is like this sort of, guided meditation I guess um, because you are like you are being carried through an image or carried through a process um, while still being entirely focused and entirely present with it um, another thing I find beautiful is that I one of the workshops I did a while ago the, one of the women in the workshops was saying that she had had a stroke uh, and she had been looking for different things to lower her blood pressure trying out different things like qigong and different kind of like movement things and she found that the um the act of embroidery actually lowered her blood pressure significantly like it was one of the best things that she could do to lower her blood pressure i was like that's awesome (laughs) doctor's orders (laughs) uh, that is i think it's um you know as much as it's like a fun thing to sort of engage in. It's also good for your health. <laughs> mm-hmm. How lovely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious too, as we're talking about this, like slowing down about your thoughts about this. I've realized that I'm not interested in doing embroidery in the spring or summer. And then as soon as it gets to be fall, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so excited to do embroidery now. Yes. Fall and winter, I really enjoy it. And then like, I'm good throughout the warm (laughs) season. So I'm curious if it's seasonal like that for you or what your thoughts are around Totally. Yeah. Although I do have, I really love embroidering outside in the summer Mm. is that, but it just doesn't, um, I don't feel like I can get engaged with the, um, with the process as easily in the summertime. Whereas in the winter, I feel like I could do it for hours, Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, definitely like for whatever reason, like January and February, Mm. (laughs) like not just winter, but like deep, like, you know, the, the deepest, deep depths of winter. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I think there's something like connection to fire for me with embroidery and mm. like seasons where I want to be lighting candles. I don't have a fireplace mm. in my apartment, but I would want to do a fireplace if I had one. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's embroidery time. Like it's slow down time. It's working with your hands time, which totally. could be any time, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have a wood stove. And so it's like mm-hmm. in the winter time, you're kind of like, you're maintaining it. You're spending a lot of time maintaining it. If you ignore it for too long, then you have to restart a fire. And so you're kind of constantly making sure that the coals are at the right um, temperature. So they're, so it's not um, clogging up the chimney with too much 
creosote or whatever, you know, there's this very specific kind of maintenance of it. And so embroidery is a way where you're like, I'm getting something done, but I'm not losing track of the fire. (laughs) And so that kind of like that, that like fire tending aspect of it. Yeah. I feel like it just, it feels like it does connect me to, to like history where you're like, this was probably, you know, so many centuries, millennia of people stitching things by the, by the light of the fire. Um, and also maintaining the fire. It's like the only light you had was that that main house fire. And so you're going to be working by it probably through the night. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I definitely feel like stitching and working with fire magic connects me to my ancestors in a big way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering um, about making like talismans I know that you like do classes around that sometimes and I'm wondering like how is that different for you or like what that means to you than working on a regular magical (laughs) piece (laughs) right yeah I mean I feel like I can't help but like come like even if a piece is like just for aesthetics no it doesn't even really happen (laughs) I don't really most of the time when a piece starts happening because the the story behind it and the sort of intention behind it is usually what drives every choice Mm. that's made so from the colors to the composition to um the density of the stitches all of the intentions is how uh, all of the desires for what that needs to exist as is how I choose those things Mm -hmm. um so uh, yeah so I do think that anything that I now that I'm thinking about it most things that I've made as just like oh I have a cool idea um they don't get done (laughs) I mean not a lot of things aren't getting done anyways just because (laughs) I I can't move on I'm working on like seven different embroideries at once right now like large embroideries (laughs) I'm like, why do I keep having ideas for new ones? And I just can't finish the old ones. Um, but I do think the majority of them are, um, if they did not have a meaning behind it in their inception, um, as the colors are chosen and as the stitches are created and as it's sort of framed and put into, I guess, packaged for um, existence out in the world. So it's not just a piece of pa- piece of fabric as that happens, it gains more and more intention behind it. Um, Yeah. So yeah. For example, I have right now, I have like a Persephone inspired one going on and it's like, as we kind of dive into these winter months and sort of considering that mythology and considering the pre-mythology for that, like what, 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 what was that myth based on? Cause we know that all the Greek myths are kind of like modified earlier myths. And so kind of digging down deeper into the sort of like underground goddess myths um, and exploring that through a piece. And so, yeah, it just sort of inspires every element, even, even if like the composition I have isn't working, I'm kind of like, okay, well, how can I move deeper into this story? How can I use the flaws that happen? How can I use the things that aren't working as an opportunity to like change this and start to bring in new ideas into this piece and new information? And so a lot of times, like when a piece isn't kind of working, I'm like, instead of trying to force it, it's like, I'll just study more (laughs) on whatever the kind of, yeah, a lot of the times the intentions do have a mythology behind it because that's like a language I feel like that's easy to describe the wholeness of an intention and the wholeness of um of a concept um and not just this like one facet of it but the actual kind of complexity of it I feel like mythology is really nicely sort of rounded out yeah Yeah. it feels like there's so much 
gentleness and curiosity in your process as you're talking about it. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about like cultivating more of that energy when you work with any creative project and oh, not so yeah. much of like the I'm in a rush and why isn't this working? Blah, 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 like that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, totally. Yeah. And I feel like it was like spending so much time in the fashion industry being rushed and like constantly like fighting deadlines and needing to have the thing out. And even as a business owner now, um, like before I started focusing more mainly on education and these embroidered talismans, I was creating collections of clothing or, you know, it was like sort of object-based commerce, I guess, for lack of a better word. And it was always, I was always chasing my tail, like trying to get the things out in time. Um, And a lot of times it was just trying to get the things out so I can like pay, you know, pay my bills. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so now I think, being able to, first of all, doing work that doesn't require me to finish to get my bills paid. So understanding that um, I have, I, that I need to have work outside of the work that I do for money, because that tying those two together, tying my art and my need to pay bills together was not serving me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw like, a, a, you know, there was a lot of things that I made that like, they wouldn't work out and it would just end up now they are, you know, scraps of fabric because I was trying to rush something and I try and kind of compost them all so that I'm reprocessing it and taking the, taking the piece apart and remaking it into something else, but just realizing how unhelpful it was and how it tended to create more waste, um, when I did try and rush things. So yeah, it was really about separating my, um, my personal art from my productivity in the world. Like those two things mm-hmm. needed to exist separately. Um, that was very important. And then, yeah. And then understanding that like, if something needed more time, um, forcing that wasn't going to help it and wasn't going to, um, wasn't going to make me like it any better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These things can't be forced or they can, yeah. but it feels terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And just like anybody, you know, if you think of creativity as like the muse, if that, if that resonates with anybody at all, it's like, nobody likes being demanded to do work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, if I don't want that in my own experience. I cannot do do that with my own creative work. I can't make demands from it. Um, and at a certain point that looks like me having seven tapestries that I've been working on for the past two and a half years. And like <laughs> some of them are almost done. And I'm like being a little bit, I'm, you know, just being a little bit, um, there's like a fear of releasing it to the world. And so there's, there is that balance of like, okay, I do, I do enjoy having that intimacy with the work, but I also, um, need to finish it so that it can exist somewhere, not folded up in a drawer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's hard. And I feel like that idea that resonates so much around, I feel like it was like Elizabeth Gilbert in Big Magic or something that said this, but like putting pressure on your art to pay the bills is really hard. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I think, I feel like one of the reasons people do that and make art making their work is to have more time to do it because they love it. And then it's like, you're doing other work for pay and then having less space to do like your really like creative full work and yeah just like hard questions to navigate it really is and I think there's this we can kind of fool ourselves into thinking that if we just do more work and we just work harder and we just work more that like our business will be more successful and I oftentimes think that's like when when you're forcing it that's like the last thing that is going to work for your business a lot of the times any when I find myself like needing to get something done and I I just like I have this thing that I want to put out um 
for example, like in the past few months, there's this course that I wanted to put out in November. And then eventually I just realized like, I, I can't come up with anything for it because it's not ready yet. And Mm. I, you know, it's like, it's still in the gestation period. It's still, you know, it's still the seed in the ground and you can't force the seed to like germinate and come up out of the ground. So at a certain point you're like, okay, change of plans, (laughs) you know, (laughs) instead of trying to force that, what else can I do? And (laughs) this is something I've been trying to embrace is like doing the most with the least, like what is the, (laughs) what is the least amount that I could do and still um, be able to you know, pay the bills <laughs> for lack of a better, like, what can I, how can I um, give myself some time and some space in between, especially during this holiday season where I feel like there's a lot of pressure on makers mm-hmm. to want to get something, you know, created and have it in the store. Cause this is the only time they're ever going to sell anything. Um, and just kind of releasing from that, um, kind of untangling myself from that, from that addiction to productivity and understanding that the best ideas that I've come up with and the best kind of solutions that I've come up with have happened in a space of, um, like stillness and have not happened because I was trying to get things done at 11 PM Yeah, <laughs> happens like in the, in the tub at 9 PM. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. There's so much spaciousness to what you're saying. And I feel it so much in my work too, when I'm like putting pressure on a poem or like something I'm writing for more of like my work is like, I actually come up with way more ideas and let things flow and finish way. Like, I don't know if it's faster, but just like more easily if I like take a walk or like lay down and rest or just take a break and do something else. And then like, but it's outside of like the linear productivity way that my brain wants to do things and is programmed to do things. And so it's also uncomfortable to work. Totally. That way. I have that a lot where I, I, I find that when I am feeling like very scattered and very all over the place, I need to go lay down. And that is during the, like you said, like during the normal work day, that is not okay. Like, why are you going and laying down? And then I, I, I like, as I was thinking about it, I look back and I'm like, I used to do that at all my jobs. So during my lunch break, I would go to the park and I would, I lived in Los Angeles at the time. I would go to the park and I would lay out a blanket and lay on the ground for like the majority of the lunch break, like using up as much as I could just laying there. Um, and at a job that I had before that, there was a fitting room. So it was where we would like fit different clothes. And there was a little area for the model to get dressed, um, a little like private closet sort of a thing. And so I would lay a yoga mat down there because that's we also did yoga practice in the fitting room, like 7 p.m. because we were still working. And then we'd go back to work at 8. Uh, but anyways, I would oh, take God. the mat and lay it out on the ground in the dressing room and just lay down for like 15 minutes. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Like, and that was so regenerative, but it also, I find like, and I I don't mean to say to like lay down to get ideas, but I do find oftentimes when I give myself that time to lay down, I put together the pieces of what actually needs to get done. Like, how can I do the most with the least? Like what really 100% needs to be done today and what actually could be done a different day or what doesn't actually need to be done at all. And I'm just making Mm -hmm. that up. I'm stressing myself out for no reason. So yeah. Yeah. I think it's not the laying down specifically, but it's like the not putting pressure on it. And it's the creating the spaciousness to like figure out what actually needs to happen and what feels good and needs to be like put on a list to look at next year, maybe. (laughs) Totally. And it could be, yeah, it could be like a walk in the park or something, you know, like that sort of a walk down the street even. I mean, I used to, yeah, <laughs> all the places yeah. that I went, I'm just remembering all the places that I would go to at jobs that I had, like go to the rooftop <laughs> and just like lay on the roof. 
<laughs> we're laying everywhere. We're laying all over Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's like when I bring urgency into it, it's just a bad time. And yeah. then I think about like, I actually create art because I want to like feel connected to myself and I want to mm. be inspired and channel my creativity and I want to like feel things and I don't create art for it to be some weird, stressful, urgent process to like produce for other people. Oh, I love that. Like mostly just for me. So if I'm doing it in a weird way that doesn't feel good, why am I, what's the point, you know? Totally. I love that. That's a really good, a really great thing to remember too. Yeah. Like what is the actual intention behind making the work Mm -hmm. and how can the actual making of the work also embody that intention? (laughs) Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I want to ask you about something else. Actually, I think I want to read you something that you wrote that I really liked. Okay. (laughs) Since we're talking so much about creativity. Yeah. I wrote down this thing you wrote where you said, like, say yes to developing your artistic capabilities and to your ability to express yourself visually. You're so much more creative than you think. Um, And I thought that was so beautiful because I'm sure I'm not the only one who has baggage around like not or like not being creative or learning that I'm not good at like specifically like doing visual art stuff like I'm good at writing but I'm not good at that stuff and like I shouldn't touch it and I'm wondering if there's anything else that you want to say around that for people who are like ah about creativity (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely I think I I think there's so much misinformation about like what creativity is Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people think yeah it's like something you have or you don't and it's I think it's a muscle. It's just like, um, you know, it's any, anything like learning resilience or uh, that's a bad example. <laughs> learning, um, <laughs> let's say, I don't know. It's, it's like, a, it's, it's a muscle. It's an experience that we are able to um, cultivate um, through, through practice. And I think that we're really flawed in thinking that is something that some people have and some people don't. Um, and I saw this definitely in college where there was, I, as I was saying earlier, I went to a magnet arts high school. I had been immersed in arts. I know how to draw. I know how to paint, like very skilled at it. I'm not like afraid to say that I'm not like being boastful or anything. It's just like, it's just, I had a lot of practice basically Mm -hmm. many, many years throughout my growing up of practice. And some people might say, Oh, well, you did that when you were a kid. You can't figure it out when you were an adult, but there was so many um, students that I went to school with the fashion course at the college that I went to was very intense um, and very, there was a lot of homework, a lot of work to be done. And they had very high expectations of you because they were training you for an industry that has very high expectations and wants you to work every waking hour. Um, so I noticed that there were a lot of, there's a variety of students at different levels. So some of us were very talented and others had not really had any drawing experience, drawing or um, sort of image creating experiences. Um, And so you kind of looked, you know, I kind of like looked at them with pity, like, oh, you know, poor this person, they like, this is really hard for them. Um, And then after like four years of college, you would see that like, no matter how much um, previous experience someone had, if they weren't willing to put in the work, they probably had left college already. Um, They had probably, you know, not been able to make it through because the people that were left were the ones that like just kept enduring and kept working on it and kept doing their homework and, you know, kept doing their seven hours a day of homework or whatever ridiculous (laughs) amount of work that we had to do. And they were able to 
like I was almost more impressed by their work because it kind of didn't, it wasn't based in um, uh, this really traditional kind of like academic arts. It was based in just whatever worked for them, <laughs> whatever the ways that they were best able to uh, represent what they wanted to illustrate with the clothing or whatever. Um, and realizing that like they were actually way better off because they had to work so much harder in the beginning mm. phases that they were just like equipped to, um, to not see that difficulty as a struggle. And they were, it was just like part of the process. Uh, and that was really encouraging for me to see, to like, to see that like, oh, I'm not actually that special. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just spent a lot of years practicing art. Mm-hmm. And I think that other people can do that too. Um, and I think it does take time. Like it's not easy, um, but that's sort of not even the fun part about it. <laughs> Is it being, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of watching your style and evolve um, for one, like my style didn't evolve until way later in life, I felt like, um, whereas I think because I was so kind of addicted to the really representational um, really academic art where, you know, it's uh, properly shaded and the perspective is correct and all that stuff. Um, and so my style kind of was not that, that strong, whereas people who maybe weren't that good at the representational things, they kind of had to develop a style because there was they were trying to figure out their own language of describing things. And I think that's another thing. It's really important to consider it as your own language. Um, not, not this like recreating of anybody else's language, but like, how do I see the world? How do I see people? How do I see plants experiencing the world? So, yeah. I love that. That makes me think about something that my partner told me who also went to art school and they were like, they got this feedback in art school that they needed to stop drawing their dog so much. <laughs> and they were like, this is like what I care about. And like, this is something that I enjoy. Like, I don't want to draw my dog less because it's not like fancy. <laughs> right. And it's like, who, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah totally. It's like, who are you to say like what I need to be drawing <laughs> as yeah. a teacher? If I want to draw the dog, I'm drawing the dog. <laughs> yeah. Like, how can you decide what matters for me? me to create. <laughs> right, totally, totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think I have one more question for you before I ask the last question I always ask on this show and it's like I'm like maybe I should ask this in the very beginning, but <laughs> if somebody wants to get into embroidery and has never done it before, do you have anything to share for them, any thoughts about how to get started? Right. Yeah. I think um I mean just the very like basic um, physical sort of things is like get a, get a needle that has a large eye to it. Um, so I use chenille needles. I use tapestry needles. I don't use needles labeled embroidery. So just, yeah, the very logistics of it, like get yourself a needle with a large eye. It's going to make sewing easier. Um, it's going to make threading the needle easier. And when you can make the basic parts of the process simple for yourself, um, you can actually start to play around but beyond that, I would say just see what happens. I think that there's a tendency to want to know everything about a process before engaging in it. Um, and I think it's totally okay to 
just see what happens, like stick the needle in the fabric and pull, you know, and then bring it out of the fabric at a different point. Um, and just really just play around with the materials, like explore the materials. Um, and just maybe you're doing the stitch wrong. Maybe you're inventing a new stitch. Like what's the difference? <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so I think that's, that's important. We kind of put a lot of pressure on like doing the right stitch. And I think that just in the, similar to the way that you would see if you gave a six-year-old a tapestry needle and a piece of fabric in a hoop and just have them go at it. They're just going to start putting the string in and out of the fabric. And it, it, that, that gives you such a deeper understanding of the process than like reading all the books in the world. Um, mm -hmm. Just actually doing it, actually feeling the materials first. Um, and then I would also say, um, feel free to play around with your clothes, like any clothes that are damaged or anything. I think that's a, that's kind of a fun way to play with embroidery. Um, try and keep your stitches shorter if you're working with clothes because you don't want them snagging. Um, and then, yeah, I have a bunch of free embroidery resources on my website. Um, so like the different lessons for each of the stitches, um, you have to sign up for the newsletter, but there are like I don't know, it's probably like an hour's worth of free videos with all the different stitches and exactly how to do them. And I try and be as clear as possible because I, for me, when I, anytime I learn something, you like, you look at the book and it's like, it kind of assumes that you already know the basics. Um, and that for me has always been really important is like, okay, but what do I do with my other hand? <laughs> <laughs> like seemed to be something you know where it was like how do I and there's this assumption that you kind of just know how to hold an embroidery hoop and so I try and kind of be clear about that like I have my other hand is pushing the needle up from the bottom of the fabric <laughs> to try and like give the basic yeah so that's what I would say yeah and just like play around with it uh try out different things try out different types of fabric woven fabrics work best but just try stuff out and make mistakes I think that's really important <laughs> figuring out how not to do it will gives you so much more information on how to do it than just learning about how to do it yeah and I love that you bring up the word play too because that feels like such an important part of making anything to me is yeah. like yeah letting it be playful and integrating play into it Totally, totally. Oh, and I think another important thing is like, don't jump in with a final project in mind. Mm. Like just you, you reinforcing that play aspect of it. It's like, yeah, give yourself like months to play. And again, with like having the intimacy with your work, like when you, as you're learning, feel free to just like let that be between you and the fabric and the needle, you know, <laughs> and feel free to mm. just like give yourself time without any sort of like pressure or without any um, idea of how it should look just mm -hmm. give yourself time to just yeah play I love that yeah I love that <laughs> can you tell everyone where they can find you on the internet connect with you download all your amazing stuff yeah so my website is mixedcolor.net and that's just m-i-x-e-d-c-o-l-o-r dot n-e-t um and then I am on Instagram um the account that I use most is at Christy J C-H-R-I-S-T-I-J-A-Y um and then I also have um my other account is Stitchwish it's at Stitchwish Stitchwish which is <laughs> harder to say than it is to spell <laughs> and then I also have a podcast called Stitchwish Radio where I talk about textiles and stuff so that comes out every other week uh, interviews and fun stuff yeah. <laughs> yeah I'll put the links to everything in the description um, and I want to ask you the last question I always ask on the show yeah. 
which is just what does living open mean to you? What comes up for you when you hear that? Mm, yeah, ah, I hear that. And I think like being having an openness to discovering new information. So having an openness to new ways of thinking, new ways of existing, new ways of being. I think that like being closed off and sort of certain in the way things happen and the way things go um, can be really, um, really unhealthy for us in so many ways. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. That's what I think when I, when I hear it, it really feels like an, an invitation to um, allow different ways of being and thinking in mm. to your life. I love that invitation. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing and just making your amazing work in the world and existing. I'm grateful. <laughs> oh, thanks so much, Erin. Yeah, thanks for talking. This is really wonderful. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this episode, please do tap five stars and leave us a nice review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. I appreciate it so, so much. And it's a really lovely way to be in exchange with the show, with an indie podcast. You can check out all the links mentioned in this episode in the description and I'll be back on Monday with another episode. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it and stay in touch on Instagram at E-R-Y-N-J underscore or Patreon until then.